as a way of an introduction of why I suddenly made this sort of decision to, to say, hey, we're going to push First John, we'll continue next week and, and, and cover Habakkuk. I run in about three schools of friends. I have, um, I have different categories uh, from, from different spans in my life. Um, I have a bunch of military circles that are non, non, not people of faith, but just uh, military people, people who have served my SEAL community. Um, they're in one circle. I have my, my friends from high school and growing up era who are all on the very extreme opposite end of the spectrum as my military friends. I love them and I'm, they're my friends. And then I have my Christian circle of people who fall into both those categories. And as this week happened with the election, I started seeing sort of on one side, sort of like this, the sky's fallen. It's the end of the world. I'm packing my bags and moving to Mars. And what, 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 and whether that's from the religious side or the non-religious side. And then on the other side, I, I saw all of our dreams are answered and all of our problems have gone away. And I don't really, like whoever won, you could flip-flop the scenario. And by Thursday, I began to be troubled by really my, the Christian friends and, and the stuff that I was seeing and hearing, uh, which my question was sort of like, where does God fit into all of this? And where's your hope? It seems like, your hope is in the government one way or the other. And so you're either elated by what happened or you're devastated. And I don't think either is the right response. And so where I want to begin is in Habakkuk at the very end, verse 18 and 19, uh, we learn a lesson from this prophet Habakkuk. This is where we're going. And I hope that we all can be where Habakkuk is. He says, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. So we see right away what he concludes with is this, you know what? I'm going to exult in the Lord. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to give him all the glory I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. My joy, my contentment, my strength is going to come from the salvation that I've received from the Lord. And then he says, he's made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on high places. He says, essentially, I'm going to trust God to, to help me navigate life. Whatever, whatever happens, I'm going to lean upon him and he'll equip me to, to navigate the situations of life. Now, this book is fascinating. This, this little Old Testament book of Habakkuk, it's, it's referred to as a minor prophet, not because that it's insignificant. It's, it's simply because of the length of the book itself. Uh, the books of the Old Testament don't come in chronological order. But this book has played a major role throughout history. We, we see that it, it had a major transforming power in the Apostle Paul's life where he quotes from it in Romans and Galatians. Uh, in the great reformation of the church in the 1500s, it was from this passage that Paul quotes in Romans that 
that Martin Luther came to know Christ as Savior by faith alone. And basically, we, in essence, have the scriptures in our hands and can freely um, read them and have access to them in large part because of what Luther kicked off. But when we look at these verses, we can miss the significance of what he's saying if we don't know the context. And so I'm going to I'm attempting something very significant here. We're going to try to preach through a whole book of the Bible in one setting. And I think we can do it. So if you would turn with me back to the beginning, I would like to look at Habakkuk's life, the situation, what he was exposed to and what he was going through. And hopefully we can take encouragement and hope and realign our 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 priorities um, from Habakkuk's life. And I think that this message is to me just as much as anybody. I believe that God's been convicting me this week to to get get on track and to stay focused on the, the main things. And so in the first verse, we read the oracle, which could be translated burden, that, that this weight was given to this man, this the, this oracle, which Habakkuk, the prophet saw. We know nothing about Habakkuk other than this little letter. This, this prophetic book is different from the other prophetic books because the other prophetic books were, in essence, God speaking to a prophet and then commissioning that prophet to speak to Israel and to transmit a message to that nation. This letter, however, or this, this book of the Bible is, is a prophet's diary, in essence, where he's crying out to God. God responds to him. Then the prophet responds back to God and then God speaks again and then the prophet sort of changed. And so this is a this is a personal struggle with what the prophet's seen. There's no command to the nation. It's simply this prophet wrestling with God. It's it's interesting. His name means one who embraces. And so some have suggested that this burden that Habakkuk sees by the time God speaks to him and sort of lets him see things wide open and clearly what's going to happen, which wasn't good. By the end of the letter, Habakkuk the prophet embraces God's plan, which is significant. So verse 2 begins with uh, the first of his two questions. It begins with Habakkuk questioning God. First, he says, is how long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry to you violence, yet you do not save. He he, he begins his letter by saying, I look out amongst my people. I see violence. I see all sorts of evil stuff. I cry out to you. I beg you for intervention of some sort. And yet I don't even feel like you're hearing me. I don't think you're listening to me. Have you guys been there? I know I have when you call and you call and you call and it's like, God, are you even here? And it's in these moments, I believe, when God does his his most precious refining work in our lives. He says, I call to you, you don't hear. And then he says, question two, verse three. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? yes destruction and violence are before me strife exists and contention arises therefore the law is ignored or could be translated ineffective and justice is never upheld for the wicked surround the righteous therefore justice comes out perverted he senses frustration he says god i know you're holy 
How, how much longer can you force me to look at this stuff? I look around and I see all of these injustices and there's nothing's being done. The law which you established isn't being, uh, it isn't being enforced. And those that do enforce it, they're corrupt and then they're distorting the very thing that's supposed to happen. I know you're a just and holy God, yet I'm totally frustrated with with the things that I have to look at. I don't know if you've been here either. We look at our system and I don't care who won. They're all politicians. And and there's all I hope we're all old enough to kind of see that 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 that's about elections and and they're supposed to do the right thing and they're supposed to do what's best. We could have differences of opinion, but but there's so much corruption I know that for me, when I when I go on ride-alongs, that this is seeing our system sort of at the very precipice of what happens, and and looking at how much is sort of sorted out on the street, and and seeing kind of th- things that are unacceptable that the law says clearly. But then I look at police officers, and they are a little bit jaded. They're like, I'll do this, but it's just going to be thrown out. Like I, I'll. I, I'll have this happen to me. I'll go to court and a judge will look at me and he'll give me whatever reason that, that he should let this person off. It's a waste of my time. And it's like, ooh, you, you guys are, you're, you, they see the justice system for what it is sometimes. I mean, the big stuff happens and I think it's handled, but, but there's this sort of the laws being ignored. God, I'm frustrated with what I look at. When I look at our system and, and from, a, from a Christian perspective, one of the things that's, that most concerns me is, is abortion. That we live in this land and through God's eyes to see what's happening. And, and, and the, the law doesn't seem to care. The law is confused. When we see that a, a crime that's committed against a pregnant woman, if she dies and the child dies fetal homicide law charges both of them but if that same girl chooses to do it it's totally legal and it's it's from from a biblical orientation it's like lord i don't know what's going on with our nation Uh, and and it's frustrating and are you going to intervene are you going to help and when I look out at the the uh, the election and, and some of the results that were starting to bother me they're on one side, the fair side, I see people that that look out and and they're burdened in a way where their trust in God isn't shaken. They lean on him for strength. But at the same time, they say, man, what what's going on with our culture and our and our nation? One older man that I, I kind of talked with, he's he's probably in his mid 80s. And he was he said, man, I don't know. Our, our culture is so changed from when I was a kid that I feel just totally out of place. I feel like somebody just needs to set me on a raft and set the thing on fire and just let me go out to sea because I, I just don't even understand our nation anymore. And he wasn't saying it in like a political, it was just as he was looking at how things have so shifted. As, our, as we look at the situation, I, I've seen a lot of Christians this week. This is, I've seen a lot of th- people say, well, I'm just ready to get out of this place. I'm ready for the Lord to come. I'm ready to just just get me out of here. I'm not ready. I don't want to. I don't want to stick around and see this. I can't take it anymore. 
Habakkuk is frustrated with his culture and what he's seeing and the departure of, of good and honoring God. And I want to be clear that this, this is not, this, this has nothing to do with politics. I'm, I'm, I'm aiming this from seeing the reaction of a lot of Christians is, is a, is a thing that really I was convicted of my own heart. And, you know, as, as the election night, I don't, all elections are fun to watch for me. It's like, Ooh, how's it going to go? But then as things shifted, what I saw from Christians was this, like this sort of the floor dropping out this sort of that all hope was gone. It's like, wait a minute, your, your hope is in the wrong place. And I think Habakkuk, when he starts out, he fails to realize where ultimately his hope is supposed to be. God responds in verse 5. And he says, look amongst the nations. Observe. Be astonished. Wonder. Because I am doing something in your days for which... For you, you would not believe if you were told. And I just pictured the prophet Habakkuk going, he's all fresh. Oh, really, Lord? Oh, this is good. Tell me about it. How are we going to sort through all of this evil that's happening within Israel? All of the judges that aren't serving and everything that's going wrong. How are we going to deal with this? Is there going to be a wave of discipline that we just remove everybody and let the godly rise to the surface? I could see him just wringing his hands and then God continues and God's going to drop a bombshell onto little Habakkuk. He says, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. This is the Babylonians. The setting in which this prophecy was written the setting in which habakkuk happened is some 23 years prior to daniel being taken in to captivity for babylon so when we read daniel 1 1 and it says about this was the king and the babylonians came and exiled at that moment when the chaldeans or the babylonians came and took israel into exile the northern kingdom had already been taken captive by the assyrians the southern kingdom fell and Israel would, would, would no longer exist as a nation until May, uh, May of 1948. Like this is, this is uh, the bottom falling out. They didn't like the Babylonians before that. 23 years when he gets this, God would explain who these Babylonians were. That fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They're going through into other countries. They're, they're wiping out people's homes that don't belong to them. They're conquering all of the nations. Yet Israel was still standing firm, the southern at this point. But they were at this point going around and seizing all these people. Verse 7, they are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. That just speaks of the size of their army. I think of looking out to 
at a stadium and just seeing the hordes of people where all the faces are there, but they all sort of bleed together. This is how he describes their army, their faces. I lost my place here. They, the, um, verse nine, all of them come for value. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and they heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind. God says, hey, Habakkuk, I'm listening to you. Hey, Habakkuk, I see what's going on. I'm doing something. This people, the Babylonians who are wiping out everybody, I'm raising them up. I'm going to march them through here. They're going to just annihilate Israel. They're going to haul you all away. This same prophecy came to Isaiah. And I just see Habakkuk going, I don't uh, like what? That's not the right answer, God. How, How could you do this to us? And then God says at the end of verse 11, but they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God and God stops speaking. I'm going to march them through. They're going to do to you what they've done to every nation. They're going to just clean you up, take you into exile. And eventually I'll hold them guilty for what they've done. But for now I'm using them. And I can just see Habakkuk, you know, trying to get up from falling off of his chair How do you respond to God in the midst of this? What do you what do you say? And Habakkuk in verse 12 replies. He says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my holy one? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge. And you, O rock, have established them. The thing I noticed first, in the midst of this crisis, Habakkuk was already upset. Now he sees this discipline that's going to come in a way, in a magnitude, that that he couldn't even begin to comprehend. And where he goes at the beginning of verse 12 is, Are you not from everlasting? O Lord my God, my Holy One. He clings to what he knows about God. I know that for me and Anna, one of our big first real significant trying moments in our marriage is when our, we lost our first child to miscarriage. Shortly after that, my, my, one of my best friends was killed in, in Afghanistan. And, and I remember being in this place of just not understanding how this bad stuff could be happening to us. For we love God. We wanted to walk with God. We were going to go give our lives in service to him. Yet... This stuff was happening that was so horrible and and we couldn't make sense of it. And I remember that during those moments, we would cling to the truths that we knew about God. God, we know your love. We know that you care for us. We know that all things work together for good for those who love you and that somehow light will come out of this. Somehow goodness will happen. But he holds to this Lord, I don't understand. I know you're everlasting. I know you're holy. How could you use this? And I, and I think that there are some that look at our nation and, and, and there's some serious concerns when, when major groups of people who are leading our nation are, are booing the nation Israel. That, that concerns me because it, United States isn't anywhere in the Bible. 
What I see in the Bible is all nations will be judged with how they treat Israel. And so it concerns me as a citizen, as as a one who believes the Bible is God's inspired word. When I see our nation saying we're we don't want anything to do with Israel. Well, what I see in scripture for those nations that turn their back on Israel, it's not it's not good. When I look at how we we as a nation handle, we want God removed from our courts, from our schools, from everything. That That's concerning. And, and I'm not saying like like what I see in God's hand when I look at Romans one towards the end there as he talks about all these things that people are doing and leaving the way. What I see from God is saying, OK, I'll let you go. But as I let you go, my hand's going to be lifted from you in a, in a good way. Or in a bad way, he, his hand be, is a good thing and he's going to then take it. And I, I see Habakkuk and say, I, Lord, we, I don't know what's going on. But then he said, you, O Lord, have appointed them to judge. And you, O Rock, have established them to correct. I, I love this, this posturing of, uh, of obedience and humility before, before, like by Habakkuk. Lord, I don't understand what you're doing but i i trust what you're doing and i'm going to lean upon you to help me through this and i don't want to be construed i'm not making similarities between what happened because the the main essence is those that are 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 so negative over what happened really fail to understand how good we have it in our nation and i don't like like you take the worst case situation by what conservatives are saying we still live in the greatest nation are more blessed than any people throughout all of humanity and what i want us to see is what israel sort of went through and this 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 guy was given this sense your nation is going to be abolished this nation who i appointed who i made covenants with you're going to be wiped out To think this would go down in 586 BC, 23 years future, and for 2,000 years, Israel would not exist as a nation. Like, Lord, what are you doing? You think we have it bad? We don't have it bad at all. Like, we can't even begin to understand what God just told Israel in this. And yet Habakkuk says, Lord, I'm going to lean upon you. If you've appointed them to judge... You've established them to correct verse 12. He goes on. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. And you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those treacherously? He keeps going. I know you can't. I I know you're holy. I know you can't endorse evil. I know all of this stuff about you. But then he, he goes before Lord and says, well, why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? These Babylonians are ruthless. They're evil. They're slaughtering thousands upon thousands of people. How can you look with favor upon them? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? And I love how Habakkuk's first his his understanding of of holiness is skewed. He's comparing from human to human. He's lost sight of God's holiness. As God looks at humanity, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But he's measuring his holiness based on other humans. 
Why have you made men like fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? The Chaldeans bring all of them up with a hook and drag them away with their nets and gather them together in their fishing nets. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they offer a sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing net because through these things, their catch is large and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? Habakkuk has his eyes are wide open. He understands how bad it is. He's like, these guys worship idols like we might have our problems, but still we're a nation under God. Like we know the, the, the true God. They they use their instruments of war. And as soon as they use them, then they bow down and worship them. They catch fish with nets. Then they worship the nets as God. How can you use them, Lord? How like I don't understand what's going on. You know, he's like, why did I even ask God those two questions? <laughs> I was better before I started questioning him. Now God reveals himself to me. And man, I am in, this is not good. And then in chapter 2, where he ends his section, we see his confusion. We see his worry, his anxiety, which is, I think, rightly, it's correct anxiety. He's just told that these people are going to come through and just clean house. And he says, I will stand of my guard post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. And how I may reply when I am improved. I love this. I, I, I absolutely love Habakkuk's, you know, you're in trouble. I, I, I think of myself as a kid. When you get in trouble and your parent says, hey, you go to my bedroom, sit on the chair and wait for me to come speak to you. <laughs> yeah, and you, you sit there and I mean, I like as a kid, I had, you know, fight, flight or fight syndrome taken over like. I think I'm just going to leave the house. I'm going to split. I'm going to get out of here. Yeah, I never handled it the mature way. I, I never. And yet I see Habakkuk say, I'm going to keep watch. I'm going to keep listening for you, Lord. I'm going to. I'm going to keep watch to see how you'd speak to me. And I'm going to basically how I may reply when I'm reproved so that when you when you discipline me. He was the righteous one calling out on behalf of his countrymen who had all gone astray. And yet he says, I, I'm going to be prepared to see how I'm going to answer you. I'm going to keep my watch. My heart's poised to be corrected by you. God responds for the last time in, in verse 2 of chapter 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets. That the one who reads it may run. Love this picture of God. God, God says, I'm going to exercise this discipline. It's not going to be good. And in the midst of the discipline, Habakkuk, I want you to write down what I'm telling to you so that people have an opportunity to repent, to turn to me, that they might run and get out of the judgment. This, this mercy of God. Don't let you people tell you that God of the Old Testament was this mean, angry God that had no love. God's the same God of the Old Testament and New Testament. We see this, this great mercy of him. 
He wants people to come to know him. He wants people to turn their hearts to him. So for the vision is is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For certainly it will come. It will not delay. He says this time is coming. 23 years from the time of this revelation. That's a long time. What, what year? We're in 2000. Let's just say that we're in 2013 already just because I math. I went to public school. No offense. Well, this is my joke. On So let's see if I can still do it. So 1990. Can you imagine something was said in 1990? January of 1990. Hey, God's going to discipline you in January of 2013. Would you stand for like that's a long time. And he says, it's going to come. Don't, don't worry. It's coming. Verse 4, God says, behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. But the righteous will live by his faith. This is that verse that transforms so many men. But the righteous will live by faith. Paul quotes this in Romans 1.17. It was Romans 117 that Martin Luther was reading as he was reading. He says, but the righteous will live by faith that this verse popped into his head. If my memory serves me right, as he was doing penance, walking on his knees, going up the steps. As this verse popped into his head, he gets up and says, it's by faith. It's not by works that I'm saved. Transformed him. It's always been by faith. He goes on to say, furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like shoal and he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself a nations of all peoples and collects himself, uh, collects to himself uh, uh, all peoples. Now, from here, I'm not going to read the, the rest of this. But what I want to do is lay it out. God's going to give five woes. And I think he's speaking to all humanity. Those that are going to inflict the discipline on Israel and the nation of Israel. God says there are five things. In verses 6 through 8, he says the sin is theft, extortion, high interest, plundering, murder, and environmental damage. The... the, the this is one thing that I've noticed that conservatives and Christian conservatives tend to say, oh, the environment, don't worry about it. All through the scriptures, I see that there is sort of that we have this responsibility to, to have stewardship over the land. That they, we see like theft and all of this stuff and the consequences at the end, those that were wronged, they're going to stand up against those who victimized them. As we go from verse 9 to 11, the second woe is the sin of unjust gain. And this one fascinates me. It says those that advance by gaining stuff unjustly, at the end time, all of this stuff that you acquired is going to stand up and it's going to testify against you. Like your possessions. It seems strange. It's just sort of strange to me. But it says, surely the stone will cry out from the wall and the rafter will answer from the framework. Maybe in this day, this guy who's, who's pillaged a bunch of people, 
unjustly acquired stuff that all of a sudden his wall starts speaking. You stole me. You, you took advantage of this person. I can't imagine how scary that would be when you see your stuff start testifying against you. The second woe, verses 12 through, 12 through 13, says the sin of power through death and corruption. And it says that this stuff will actually be, be, the, be the material that fuels the fire for hell. We're going to skip verse 14 because it's positive, And we'll come back to that at the very end of the woes. But the fourth woe is the sin of drunkenness that, that, that uses drunkenness for nakedness. Uh, for the environment, animals, human bloodshed. And it said that the consequence for this at the end, God's going to bring his right hand and make you drink from it. It's this picture that, that he's going to shame those that have done wrong. Verse fifth woe, verses 18 through 19, I believe, 18 through 19 is basically the, the, the sin of idolatry that you worship stuff that isn't of God. And the consequences at the end, it'll be folly of your idolatry that your, that your idols that you worship will no longer speak. They won't be effective. And then as we come to the very end, well, let's go back to verse 14. And here, as all of these consequences, this punishment of God is going to come, this wrath. At the end, it's this picture, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And it's this picture, I mean, it's this picture like if the earth, the universe, was a, was a container that could hold fluid. And as you start pouring it in, like if you fill one of those little kids' kiddie pools, as the water begins to just creep up, and then begins to overflow. It's this picture of God's glory is going to just enter in and start overwhelming everything. And then the last verse of chapter two says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silenced before him. It's this picture of the calm before the storm. This, listen, God's about to speak. I don't want to hear a word out of your mouth. Judgment time is here. You don't understand who you are in relationship with God is. That God is working. He's sovereign. He is overall. And he wants our attention. And then there's little Habakkuk. Knees trembling. <laughs> what Pandora's box did I just open? <laughs> I don't know if he's in his pastoral study doing whatever. Like he thinks he's praying earnestly for his nation. And then God speaks to him. And what God reveals, how is he going to answer? He answers in prayer. In chapter 3, verse 1, we read a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shugunath. He prays, Lord, I have heard the report about you and I fear. All through the scripture, we see that the at the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of understanding who God is, is fear. And this isn't unhealthy fear. This is understanding that we're created beings. We didn't, we didn't invent, we kind of reconfigure stuff. We come up with stuff. But, but life, like it, when you start looking at the biology of the human body, it's amazing. There's no computer Apple has leaps and bounds to go before we even come, before they even come close to establishing anything as, 
amazing as the human body, the brain, the vascular system. This is, it's overwhelming when we start looking at creation and what God's done. And when we look at this stuff, he just sits in awe of God. Oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. Lord, may this be known to all people. In wrath, remember mercy. This perfect picture of what Christ was. The per- God's holy wrath coming upon Christ. Mercifully that we, through faith in him, might have peace with God. This is the perfect combination, the perfect picture of God's wrath and mercy coming together. And he says, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. And then from verse 3 down to verse 15, he's going to list. He's going to reflect. He doesn't know how to respond, so he turns back to the things of God, and he remembers what God did through the Exodus. This other time in Israel's history when, when they were in slavery, they didn't know what was going on, but, but to remember from the word what God had done, how faithful he was. Going to the giving of the lot, Mount Sinai. Remembering the plagues of Pharaoh. We see the parting of the Red Sea. We see God as a warrior with Joshua giving victory in, in Gibeon. The sun and the moon standing still. All of these things that had already happened. Habakkuk reminds himself of how faithful God has been to them. How, how he has proven to be true over and over again. And in the midst of... Of God revealing this discipline. He clings to the promises and faithfulness of God. And when I read verse 16. As we get towards the very end here. Everything I read here has been in the news all week. For the last six months. We're probably all very sick of it. And thankful that there's a little relief of the political advertisement. And you could hear both sides of the argument. Because the issue ultimately is we as humans put our trust in money, in, in kings, and not into the king of kings. And what Habakkuk says at the very end is for all of us. He said, I heard and my inward parts trembled. This is like fear. How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to feed myself? I don't know how I'm going to get through this. The economy is bad. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay entered into my bones. And in my place, I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress. For the people who arise, who will invade us. It's almost like that we've, that you've been told, listen. On May 1st of 2013, you're going to die. It's going to be a horrific accident. And then you're kind of like, I know this day's coming. Yeah, I trust in God, but man, I sure don't want. I know on May 1st that this is going to happen. Like this is the sort of the anticipation. Habakkuk says, I, God revealed to me what's coming. I have 23 years to wait. And this is causing me to fear. He doesn't say I'm going to start hoarding. I'm going to start stockpiling. I'm going to start preparing for the day of disaster that I could escape God's plan. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive olive branch, olive should fail and the fields produce no fruit. Though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. This is the economy of the day, their food and their resources. 
No food, no cattle. This is everything. This is a catastrophic economic collapse. His heart about this is uncertainty, total fear, total worry, total concern because he doesn't know how he's going to survive it. Does this sound anything like you guys have heard on either side of the aisle in our nation? If one side wins and this is going to clash, if the other side wins, well, it's going to be really bad. This is, this is so important. Like this is, and what he was going through is nothing compared to what we face as a nation. And yet, verse 18, this is what I want us to get. Yet I will exult in the Lord. The Lord is where our hope is. Our hope's not in the economy. Our, your hope's not in your job. Your, your, your hope's not in the food. Your hope is not in the government. And if the other guy won on Tuesday, this message would be just as relevant. Just as relevant. So this isn't, this is, this has, as we as followers of Christ, we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. And I don't know, like I'm not saying that what happened, that we're being disciplined like this. All I do know is from scripture, Romans uh, chapter 13, verse 4 is that all authority has been appointed by God. So I can tell you that the president of the United States was placed there by God. Don't ask me to explain it. Don't, uh, like, don't, don't, like, uh, like, I don't know how that all works. But the things that I cling to is that I know that the authorities that are placed above us, whether we like it or not, is that God placed them there. And when I look at this captivity, when we see Daniel hauled into captivity as a young man to be brainwashed, to be trained, to be educated, to try to to wipe off Israel and the customs from the face of the earth. By the time we get to chapter nine of Daniel, we see Daniel praying. Daniel prays for his nation. He prays. He he confesses his own sin. He confesses the sin of his people. We're told in Timothy That we as believers, and I guarantee you that our government is amazing compared to what Paul was going through in the early AD 100 under Roman authority, the authority that was going to execute him. He said, we need to pray for those above us. And we who know Christ, we need to sincerely pray, not just for your candidate, but for all of those that have been placed over us. Pray that God would give them wisdom, that God would speak to them, that they would get a healthy fear of him. But the thing most, I will exult in the Lord. Habakkuk doesn't point to them. He recognizes that it begins in his own heart. Regardless of the situation that I'm going to exult in the Lord, I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. If you're in Christ and you've received eternal salvation... I I like what Rick said from that men's conference, that it's a quote from a famous guy that for Christians, this is as close to hell as we'll ever get. And for those that don't know Christ, this is as close to heaven as they'll ever get. Like we rejoice in God, our salvation, our peace is with him through Christ. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, according to Ephesians. And he says, the Lord God is my strength. 
you know what? It could get good. It could get bad financially. I hate to say it, but I think during times of adversity is when the church flourishes. I'll never forget the guy from, I think it was Kenya or maybe it was Sudan. When I was an early Christian, it was probably in 2000. It was in a big setting, like an arena setting. I remember the guy, he was dark black. Like so, his skin was so black that you could almost not see him in the back. Like you couldn't see him because they had black curtains. But the only thing I could see was his big white smile. And then he looked at this mega church and what he said to us, he said, will you American Christians stop praying that we not have persecution because we in Africa are praying that you experience persecution, that you would know Christ. And I can't, he's like, I can't tell you how wonderful it is for you to be persecuted for your faith, the intimacy that comes from the Lord. And my point in saying this is, is sometimes in prosperity, we wander from the Lord. Habakkuk understood that as everything was stripped away, the only thing he needed was the Lord. And that's where his strength would come from. And he says, he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on high places. I, 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 this is one of those strange verses, but the more I think about it, I think about those, those billy goats that you see like up on a cliff, like that's straight. And they're just standing there eating their grass, like totally comfortable. They can just back down the hill and it's like, ah, the conditions are severe. Yet their feet are able to navigate the difficult terrain. And I think that this is what God's saying, like, or not God, what Habakkuk's saying, that God has left for us, that listen, lean upon God, he'll be your strength. Whatever the adversity, whatever the trial, he'll make you be able to stand and, and to work through that situation and bring him much glory. And so my prayer for us as Christians and for the church at large in the United States, is that we would understand how to truly exalt in God and to trust in him in light of whatever situation that we face. And Father, we turn to you. And Lord, I confess, Lord, that so easily, Lord, it's, it is for me to trust in finances, the bank account, the security of certain things that are not of you. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, for blessing us in so many ways. And Father, we just come before you, Lord, and I and ask that as individuals, Father, that you would help us to cling to you, that we would fully place our trust in you, that we would see you as the one that can only provide hope. Lord, we ask that you would continue to guide us, that you would give us strength, that you would Lord, help us to navigate the difficulties of life. And as we face difficulties, as we fierce fears of the uncertainty of the future, Lord, we pray that we would turn to you, that we would bring glory to you, Lord, that we would trust, that we would have peace that only you can provide. And Father, we bow down and we worship you. We thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray for those that have been placed in authority over us. We pray uh, for our local government, for the police officers that serve us. 
Lord, this Veterans Day, we're reminded of the men and women who are serving our country. We, we thank you for them. We pray that they would be in your hand. Lord, that you would um, help them to come to know you at large. Father, we pray for just our government ranks all the way up. Father, we pray that you would uh, place your hand upon our president and the vice president, Lord. Lord, help us to be burdened for him, that we would sincerely pray for him, Lord, on a daily basis. As we see his face in the newspaper, on the TV, Lord, that we would first respond with the conviction that we need to pray for that man. Father, we pray for our nation. Lord, that there would be a revival in the hearts of people, Lord, that would affect our culture. And Lord, if that never happens, may we stand firm. May we rest in you and be the light that you've called us to be. We love you, Father. We praise you. And we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.